0: Hey guys, John Paulemy here, Actionable Intelligence. Today is Saturday, June 11th, and this is the weekly market update. As always, the disclaimer, anything that you hear or see on this video or podcast is not to be taken as investment advice. I am not a financial advisor. Please do your own due diligence. It's your money. It's your responsibility. So, a few months ago, I think if you go back and look at um, my uh, YouTube channel, one of the thumbnails I made was a picture of the Earth, and then this uh, asteroid or meteor was coming in at it, and I had the Earth, I had like a caption over it as being the U.S. economy, and then uh, this uh, meteor, it's like energy prices. And so in the uh, newsletter, we're very we're heavily invested in the energy sector because I believe that we have a structural issue with energy uh, supply uh, for the reasons we've mentioned many, many times. And so you know, what I think is happening now in the economy, we've got some information here in the last week or so, it's really, you know, I don't like to get into macroeconomics, but it's becoming obvious now we're, we're in a recession. We're in the beginning stages of recession. It's going to be very bad. And we need to start thinking about down, you know, downsizing and, and, and risking, taking our risk off. Um, but that doesn't mean that, you know, I'm going to go through my scenario of what I think may or may not happen. And so here's the first chart we have. This is the first surprise that happened today. And this is the University of Michigan Consumer Sediment Index. And as you can see, it dropped to the lowest it's ever been since they've been doing this. It's at 50.2. Again, this is the lowest it's ever been. Go back to the great financial crisis. Go back to the COVID uh, or the COOF um, lows. Go back to the 90 recession, the 80s recession. This is the lowest. Look at how fast this has dropped off. Okay. These were all periods when you had recessions. So that's fact number one. Um, The bottom line is energy prices are crushing the American consumer. Diesel prices are crushing the trucking industry. And so people are pulling in their horns. Um, There's been anecdote after anecdote, story after story about people um, having to, you know, they're watching the other guy put gas in this thing. He's putting 2 or $3 in, and they have like a big SUV. People are out of money. Um, so what are they doing? Well, this is something we've been talking about. This is total revolving credit, basically credit cards, and it's from Zero Hedge. It says, forget CPI. The week's most important data point is today's monthly consumer credit update. Last month, we saw a blowout. Record surge in credit card usage as consumers were tapped out. They're tapped out because inflation's running rampantly. It's at 40-year highs. So, you know, as I've said before, the United States economy is not like a manufacturing economy. Yes, we manufacture things, but we are basically a... Most of our economy is based on consumer spending, okay? And so if the consumer's income is being put into higher-priced fuel so people can go to work, higher priced food so people can eat, there's less discretionary spending for consumer goods. And therefore, I mean, you saw what happened with Target this week, okay, with their earnings or their disclosures and the stock got walloped. Same thing with Walmart happened recently. And so we've basically hit a brick wall. It's not necessarily the oil price. The oil price isn't even at all-time highs, inflation adjusted. It's the lack of refining capacity that's causing gas and diesel prices to be way higher than they should be at this oil price. Okay, the demand is there. We don't have the refining capacity. We went over this before. We have 5% less refining capacity than we had before we went into the lockdowns. And so now when you come out and demand goes back to normal, there's not enough fuel. Then you exacerbate this. That's just not a phenomenon that's, you know, in the US, that's Europe and then you exacerbate it by excuse me, by putting all these sanctions on Russia without thinking through what the second and third order effects are, and this is a disaster we're in now. We have people running up credit cards to maintain their spending. How long can that go on? I mean, these are records, folks. These are all-time records being set, and they're not good ones. So now we have, you know, comes out today, uh, U.S. inflation now at a 41-year high. US consumer prices accelerated in May as gasoline prices hit a record high and the cost of food soared, leading to the largest annual increase in nearly 40 and a half years. I just put 41 rounded up, suggesting that the Federal Reserve could continue with its 50 basis point interest rate hikes through September to combat inflation. I mean, this is the media, right? I'll put article, I'll put links to the articles. This is the media. They'll continue. They need to raise rates on Monday, 2 or 3%. They're already behind the curve. The private sectors already raised rates. We've talked about this before. They're behind the curve, but they're not going to do that because they're scared of a crash. Going on with the article. The faster and they're going to get the crash. It's starting, it's happening. You know, there's never a time where the Federal Reserve is ever ahead of the curve. Okay? It's a political entity. It's fully politicized it doesn't want to be the one being blamed for things so you know remember remember when we were talking about this last year before this inflation came along um, we're going to let inflation run a little hot because we need to catch up because we were we had such underinflation, inflation we had such deflation because of the coof and just you know overall we, we, it's all right to let it run hot for a few years well how you liking how hot it is now because you're sitting in the middle of a blast furnace at 41 year highs with a congressional election cycle election coming up in, let's see, four months, you think that anybody's going to care about this January sixth stuff? They care about. By the time we get to November, the economy is going to be, without a doubt, in a recession, full blown, and people and people are going to be very, very upset. And yes, it's not necessarily Joe Biden's fault, but the party in power is the, this is how it works. People place the blame on who's there, whether they caused it or not. This is just how it is. Just like when things are going well, these idiots always take credit for it. Nine times out of 10, they had nothing to do with it. This is the way it works. The captain on the bridge takes the blame for what somebody does down in the engine room because he's the captain of the ship. That's just how it is. The faster-than-expected increase in inflation last month, reported by the Labor Department on Friday, also reflected a surge in rents, which increased the most since 1990. The relentless price increases are forcing Americans to change their spending habits. Yes, I just explained that. The relentless price pressures are forcing Americans, well, certainly heighten fears of either an outright recession or a period of slow growth Well, we're going into a recession. I'll tell you that we're, if we're not already in a recession, last... First quarter was already negative growth. There's no way with, with the way things are that we're not going to hit a wall. And so this senior economist says, uh, the Fed might still raise policy just 50 points next week, but it could easily ratchet up the pace beyond that if inflation keeps surprising to the high side. They're going to continue to raise rates until something happens. They're going to continue to raise rates until something breaks. Then they will panic, and then they will start printing money again. This is the cycle that we've always done. Now, everybody's saying, well, they won't do that. Yes, they will. This is what they do. What other tools do they have? Okay, and they have to be careful about how far they raise rates because, you know, the government has all-time highs in its debt. The corporate sector has all-time highs in its debt. As a matter of fact, one of the trades I put on, which I'm going to make public here for you guys. It's not going to be something that's going to get you rich, but it's counter cyclical, something you can take advantage of. Okay, there is a fund. It's a, uh, the symbol is S Sierra um, J, which would be, what's what's J? I forgot now, Juliet Bravo, Sierra Juliet Bravo. It's the high yield short fund. It shorts high yield bonds. And so why is this important? Well, if we're going into a recession and rates are going up, you have all these zombie companies out there that can't hardly make their interest payments, anyways. If we go into a recession, you're going to start seeing a default cycle in corporate high yield debt. And that's if you look at a chart of SJB, go look at it. It's not something that's going to go up ten times. It's not something that's even going to probably double from here. But it's something that you can put some cash into, and you'll get a. Po- I think you'll get a positive return. They short the high yield debt. Now, when the cycle turns at some point, whenever that is, okay. There'll be opportunities to go in buy high yield debt that's really blown out, really cheap, and lock in some really high yields. But that's way down the line. But that's something you know. That's something that I, I dropped a few bones in this week because you know you you have to be careful. You know, cash is king right now, in my view. Um, I'm still bullish. Like I said, I'm bullish on resources and commodities for the entire decade. But there's going to be cyclical pullbacks, and I've shown that in charts before. I showed that in the newsletter this last month. I explained that, that uh, we could have, you know, if you don't think that the oil price is eventually going to crack, it's going to, okay? Because the economy doesn't work at certain at a certain oil price. I don't know what that price is off the top of my head, but I'm looking at inventories. I'm looking at other indicators that are telling me. Uh, right now, energy is very hot. Um, We have high prices, but, you know, if prices keep going to, you know, keep going up 150, some people talking about $200 a barrel again, that's going to crack the economy and you you will have a recession, a severe recession, and you will have demand come off and the oil price will go down. But that doesn't solve the underlying structural supply issue that will come right back as soon as they start printing money again. Okay, so you have to understand the cyclicality of this. Okay. And that's why I think it might be prudent. If you have gains, we have tremendous gains in some things. And, and I think the, you know, stocks are down quite a bit, but they're no, if you look at the Buffett indicator as a percent of GDP, they're not even anywhere near being a value yet. I mean, stocks can easily go down another 50, 75%. And I think they will, especially uh, most of these averages are going to get cut in half over the next year, or 18 months, in my view. Um, it's now becoming obvious what's happening and uh, people's sentiment's gonna change. So I think, you know, if you have gains, there's nothing, take some off the table on some of these energy stocks. And people are gonna be like, yeah, we're getting to that point. I'm sorry, okay? It's becoming obvious what's happening, okay? And they're not gonna reverse course next week. They're gonna continue going until they break something. I don't know if it's gonna be emerging markets. I don't know if it's going to be, you know, corporate high yield debt. I don't know if it's going to be a major company scandal that these rate increases, crack it. Something's going to crack the economy in general. I mean, now I was out last night eating dinner with a friend. Places were packed. You had to wait in line to get into joint 630. You had to wait in line. Okay. Traffic. Everything seems to be going good here in the Houston area, but you know, I live in a, you know, more upper-class area. So I'm not seeing probably, I don't live, you know, in a low-income area where people are shopping at the dollar store and there's not even a dollar store around here that I haven't seen one, okay? But I know from other things that I'm seeing uh, when I'm in the Valley or other things, people are struggling, okay? This is not going to continue to go on. Consumer sentiment being at alt, you know, look at this again, guys. Consumer sentiment, that means people's, you know, how they feel about the economy. It's at an all-time low since they've been doing this in like 1952 or something crazy like that. I mean, look at the all-time high in credit card debt. It's not because we're booming and people are you know, shooting their wad. I, I, I had the view that people were going to shoot their wad over this last summer, and that was going to be it. That was going to be the high watermark, and it looks like that's what's happening. So it's time to start thinking defensively. That's my view. And when stocks go down, when the stock market is in a bear market, pay attention, I'm going to get ready to say, let it sink in. When stocks go down in general, most stocks go down. And before you put it in the comments, that means uranium stocks too. 95% of the stocks will go down in a bear market. 95% of the stocks will go down in a bear market. Okay? This isn't like a timing issue. This is so obvious, it's painted right on the wall in front of your face, okay? So you need to decide as an individual investor, do you want to be in and out? I mean, especially as liquidity is being withdrawn. Guys, we've talked about this before. They've pulled the drain on the bathtub. Liquidity QT started the last couple weeks. The rates are going to continue moving higher until they crack this inflation. This is the number one polling issue for this upcoming election, okay? They've got to crack it. It's still not going to do them any good because it's going to cause an economic recession slash possibly depression, but we'll see. Now, other people have the view that, yes, they're going to start cutting rates by the end of the year. I don't know what they're going to do. It's unknowable, but I'm telling you right now what's going to happen. And so the cash is king. If you're fully invested, you need to really look at each position and think to yourself, is this something I want to hold on to? Is this something, you know, I'm not trading in and out. I'm not one of these people, but I'm just telling you that what it's not a bad thing to take some off the table and preserve some of your gains. At least take your original investment off the table. It's so obvious what's getting ready to happen here. Now, I don't know if oil continues moving higher, 150, 200. Like I said, it's unknowable. I'm just telling you that consumers are are cracking and the, and the discretionary spending is going away. And because of the fact that we are a consumer based economy, this is going to have ripple effects and it's going to cause, you know, problems for a lot of businesses. And like I said, that SJB is a good thing to put some money into. Okay. As high yield debt, as high as junk bonds start going away, defaulting, that thing goes higher. It's basically on a, like a, about like a 60 degree angle going up. It pulled back recently, pretty good. And I entered a position it's broken out on its long-term chart. It's usually going down over time because interest rates were going down over time and the spreads were tightening between high yield debt and treasuries because there was no volatility. Everything was humming along, yada, yada, yada. And there was tons of liquidity. So people were reaching for yield. Okay, now the spreads are blowing out. My indicators are showing that. So this is not positive going forward. And so here's... From Crescat Capital, the recent update they show this—you uh, know, U.S. two-year yield. They kind of point out when they had some downturns, economic downturns, and we've already exceeded—you know, two percent. This is a breakout, guys. Uh, rates are going higher because we have to crack this forty-year inflation, and I don't know if they're going to be able to do it without tanking the economy. But uh, these are pretty. This is pretty. When you look at it visually. This is pretty dramatic. What's happening? And the rates aren't really that high yet. That's another thing. But the economy is so indebted, it's so fragile. It's so there's so much debt at every government level, in, in, in corporations. There's so much debt out there. It, you can't really raise rates. So this it's going to be interesting. That's why I don't make I can't make definitive forecasts of what's going to happen because it's unknowable. We are like literally in uncharted territory. We have no charts here. Okay, so we have to kind of like, like you see those in the old movies when they come up to like a rocky island, take soundings with the rope, you know, dropping it, how deep it is so you didn't run the ship up on the reef. That's kind of what we're doing here. We don't know what's ahead. Okay, but we can kind of hopefully surmise that this is not positive. The things we're seeing are not positive. And so wanted to bring this up. Merrill Lynch came up with this. I thought it was interesting. The new FANG stocks, according to Merrill Lynch. You know, the old fang sucks was like Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Remember that? And now the new ones are like fuels, you know, aerospace and defense, agriculture, nuclear and renewables, gold and metals and minerals. I mean, it's getting a little bit cute here. I get it. But do you get the point? I mean, what I think is going to happen is they're going to keep raising rates till they crack something, okay? Then they're going to panic and they're going to reverse, But the reversal, there's usually a lag time before the money printing has effect again. But what I'm telling you over the period, over the value stocks and um, resource stocks will do the best over the next 10 years in my view. But there will be periods of extreme volatility. Please prepare yourself for that. I keep saying that the last three months. It's not exciting. It's not going to be fun. You have to protect yourself. There'll be times... When things will get better, it'll be time to, I think, after the next printing cycle, things like gold and energy are going to rip like you wouldn't believe because they're not going to have any choice. You know, People say, well, they, they're not going to destroy the dollar. They will do whatever they need to do in panic to stay in power and to, and, and to help their, you know, the masters that control these people at the Federal Reserve and in the federal government are very wealthy people with a lot of assets, The last thing they want is a deflationary depression that makes their assets go down in value, okay? And so the bias is always going to be towards inflation. Just keep that in the back of your mind. And all this gobbledygook on TV about, you know, they're so smart and they're pulling the levers and they're pushing the buttons and turning the dials in the right sequence and they've got it all figured out. No, no, no. They're going to raise rates so they crack, break something. What do you think they were talking about when Biden and Powell were meeting last week? Okay, You think they're talking about monetary theory and policy saying, hey, look, man, we got an election coming up. We got record inflation, and I'm going to get wiped out in the midterms my party. What are you going to do about it? And so here's a Jesse Felder uh, graph. It just shows you um, these rate cycles, what happens basically every time we raise rates. The one thing I want to Impress upon you is every one of these rate cycles ends up at a lower high, because the debt over this time has went exponential. So the ability to raise rates when you have records amounts of debt, it's it it, it, it's you're restrained because the debts are too high. I mean, I remember this when I was a kid when Volcker came in and raised rates up to here. What happened? It was not fun. It was a very poor economic time, stagflation. People were upset, but the political will was there to crush the inflation. So you had a period of time where you had declining rates. You know, the best investment you could have bought is 30-year treasuries right here and just rode them all the way to like down here, and you would have beat all markets. That was the best returning asset because you had all of these, um, you just had declining rates. You had locked in these high yields, and you just got paid. Okay. And so now, you know, people are saying, well, we're going to be in a cycle where rates are going to go up. They can't do it. Okay. So what do you think they're going to do? Risk a deflationary depression or sell out the dollar and just print money again, go through another printing cycle. And that's what Japan's been doing for 20 years. I mean, they have economic stagnation there. They have some demographic issues. I mean, the currency's weak. I mean, you're basically. We basically have turned our monetary system and our economy into like an emerging market. It's not quite banana republic, but it's like an emerging <coughs> emerging market uh, type situation. They'll sacrifice the currency, or let the currency weaken, to keep social order and uh, protect the 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 asset cl- the assets of the wealthy and ruling class. That's just how it is. That's how I see it. It's not a conspiracy. Uh, they just cannot raise rates. I mean, this, is, this would be 5% rates, okay? Can you imagine what would happen? I mean, you have $30 trillion in debt just with the federal government. Now, of course, you have different maturities, but as things rolled off, so you, you know, you'd be rolling over debt and then having to resell it at 5% interest. It's not going to happen, guys. What they're going to do is they're going to panic and print more money. I mean, I remember listening to Felix Zuloff about maybe a year or two ago, famous uh, money manager in Switzerland, and he said he expects, you know, the Fed's balance sheet, I think is around eight or 10, tr- like $8 trillion now. He said by the end of this decade, it could be 40 or $50 trillion. Who cares if the dollar gets cut in half? As long as it's not a runaway type situation, people will adapt. They won't like it. There'll be a lot of political infighting and turmoil, but... Assets won't collapse and things will function in some way, but to have a deflationary collapse where you have 30% unemployment, you'll you'll have a revolution. Stuff will start getting burned down. That's just, I just don't see that happening. But you have to understand how this works. You have to understand that they raise until they crack something. You know, you have the Japan bubble here, right? Okay, you had issues and then they cut rates again. And then things get frothy, they start raising rates, something breaks. Rinse and repeat the whole time. This is just how it is. So on energy prices, there'll be a link to this. Um, they had this uh, Amrita sent on. She's kind of pretty good for this energy aspects. But what I liked about it was on CNBC, it's finally sinking in, even on the mainstream media now. They're putting people on to say this, that there's no spare capacity. I saw that you know Josh Young was on, I think BNN, he was... Uh, talking to that one gal, I forget her name, she's pretty good up there, um, talking about the same thing. It's finally sinking in that there really isn't spare capacity because we've had years of underinvestment. Okay, so it's one of the things I said is what I thought would happen is once it became mainstream, the view that the spare capacity wasn't there, that we would have like this major turn in perception that would cause a revaluation or possibly a spike in oil prices. And so we'll have to see what happens for the rest of the summer. But, you know, I'm still anticipating like one last hurrah here. And maybe by late July, early August, I mean, it'll be time to really be thinking about exiting a lot of positions. So does that mean, like I said before, it doesn't mean longer term I am, but why sit around and write everything down 50 for a 50% loss? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, the, The world economy cannot deal with these oil prices. Now, there will be some sectors are doing well, like a lot of these uh, product tankers are doing good because they're having to move all this diesel and jet fuel around and gasoline because the refinery refining situation is so screwed up because of the poor policy choices of shutting refineries down in areas where there's tremendous demand for refined products. So you have to bring them from other places. You know, it's just like uh, I saw one of the um, product carriers that we have in the in the portfolio. Um, had record earnings recently because, I mean, I was shocked. Rates have really, you know, went up because, and then you, like I said, you have this pile on the 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 supply chain issues from the COOF, which never were fully re- re- resolved, and then you further throw sand in the gears with the sanctions, self-sanctioning of the Western economies because of the situation in Ukraine. And so now you've had the Saudi oil minister come out, other people, and people in the mainstream media finally picked them thing like there is no spare capacity. There isn't anybody that's going to step up and fill the gap. And so it could be quite possible don't leave this situation out. That's why I'm following inventories. I watch the inventories. If they continue to move lower, I'm going to stay long. When they start you know, if they start to turn up because demand's getting crushed and then we start getting oversupplied and and, and inventories start to build, that will be the time to exit. I've said it, that's what I'm looking at. But inventories continue to draw. You know, I've said it before. If they weren't drawing the million barrels a day out of the SPR, we'd already be at $200 a barrel. And so that's not, that's like at an all, that's like at a 30 or 40 year low. That's not going to go on forever either. So, you know, it's possible that you could be in a recession caused by high oil prices. And guess what? At some point, the SPR runs out. I think in October, they have to, they're going to stop taking the million barrels a day. Then what happens? Okay, hopefully demand, maybe demand gets crushed enough where, you know, I don't know. So there's a lot of things to watch, but I'm just telling you what I'm looking at. But it's starting to sink into people that there's not going to be, uh, well, the Saudis will just turn the taps on and we'll be fine. That's not going to happen. It doesn't exist. And I think it could be worse than people think. They're not going to let on. I mean, these are like 50, 60 year old oil fields. I mean, they're not, they're in decline. So, Josh Young, here's a tweet, right? Wow, Joe Biden is at war with cyclical industries. First oil and gas, now shipping. Yeah, Joe Biden was complaining about shipping rates. He was, uh, they showed a vignette of him. I think maybe I had the clip, but I lost it. Uh, If I still have it, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Where he was on the phone, they showed him on the phone with like the CEO of Tractor Supply, and he was talking about there's only nine companies that have containers going shipping between China and here, and it's unconscionable. They've raised rates. It's supply and demand, Joe. You know, you were you were in the Congress, you were in the Senate for 40 years or whatever, 30 years, whatever it was. You were the VP for eight years. What were you doing to re- re- relocate manufacturing here? What were you doing? To alleviate these problems. So basically, what you've what you've shown me, Joe, which I already knew about you and every other politician, is you don't have any clue what's going on. You have no foresight. You take money from people and corporations to do your bit, do their bidding, to offshore all of our industry. So it's all in China. So don't complain now when we have to get everything from China and there's not enough containers and the rates are high. Why didn't you fix this? Why didn't you? You have no foresight. You couldn't see this coming. So they just react and they're just going to blame. It's the oil and gas industry's fault that gas is $6 a gallon or $5 a gallon. No, it's not. Most of the stuff is taxes and fees. Okay, half of it, they could cut all the taxes tomorrow and lower it. They're not going to do that. They're not going to do it. Okay, Uh, when refining capacity was going down, Joe Biden and his ilk, And the Democratic Party, we're fine with that because they want oil and gas. They want fossil fuels to go away so that we can have an energy transition on rainbow. I already said this on unicorn farts, solar, and and wind. This is what they want. This is their policy. They're not mad about it. Okay. And so we're going to blame the oil companies who lose money. It's a cyclical business. Out of 10 years, lose money, seven or, or barely make any money, seven or out of the, seven or eight years out of the 10 and then make extraordinary profits for two years that basically allows them to continue operating that's how the cyclical businesses work but you know this is all grandstanding in politics this is what they do this is all they know how to do they're not they have no foresight they didn't look ahead and see what was going to happen and put any poli- he was he's been in power he's had power for 40 years of his life he was one of the youngest senators ever elected i believe i think he was elected as 28 or 30 something like that he's been in politics his entire life he's there to steal money and do the bidding of the people that give him cash he's not there for you but you know he's going to you know yeah these shipping costs are too high you didn't foresee this happening you didn't understand that shipping all of our manufacturing overseas requires shipping containers to bring the stuff back here it's stupid so it goes on here what next Apparently, certain companies deserve the profits they earn, like tech companies, but cyclical businesses don't. And, of course, Josh is right. You know, um, calling these people out or or demonizing them will just result in higher inflation and slower economic growth. Bad policy has consequences. Yes, it does. So here's another reason why I'm bullish longer term like on oil field services, margins will expand due to lack of supply. So you can look at this slide. It was uh, Bison Capital. That's Josh Young's uh, outfit. But the point is, is there's been not only an underinvestment, I I think I've talked about this before, not only an underinvestment in new oil and gas exploration, but an underinvestment in oil field services. So even if we want to ramp up, we can't. We've already heard the anecdotes about a lack of labor, lack of pipe, lack of sand, lack of equipment that's just what I, I use the analogy about, you know, if you break your bones, they act, you know, you, your muscles atrophy when you're in traction, it's going to take a while to get everything back up to strength. And I think uh, one of the guys from Goldman was talking about this and I agree with, it. I forget uh, Curry's his name, Jeff Curry, I believe. And he said, look, it's going to take three years of just high cash flows and profits for these companies in oil field services and exploration companies to get their sea legs and confidence back where they feel like they're actually in an uptrend for them to go to their boards and say, yes, we wanna spend money. Then it's gonna take three or four years just to spend the money to get the production rolling again. You're gonna to have to build new rigs. I mean, there's an outfit out here. I was looking at Houston. I drove by it the other day, I forget the name of it. And they had three or four rigs that were under construction, land-based rigs there in the yard. I thought that was pretty cool. But you know that's not typical and it takes time, right? To order the steel, the pumps, the motors that you need, the mud pumps, all that stuff. Get then, you know, you build the thing. How long does that take? Then you gotta, you know, get it out in the field and get the guys out there. Then you gotta get the drill pipe, the sand, you know how this works. And we just have atrophied that entire industry because it's going away. It's a sunset industry. Who would invest in it? And so three years just to get the confidence back and and the proof that the cash flows are there, so that you can go to the board, then three to four years to spend the money, and then maybe three. So you're talking maybe eight to 10 years before you see the big supply response. And here's a perfect example. The oil field services companies have been underspending also. And so once the exploration and production companies come to them, they don't have the ability to ramp up either because they've atrophied and downsized. Because like I've said before, we've been in the biggest oil field depression in the history of mankind. And so everybody's walking around on eggshells. the the return of capital. Now, this will all change eventually, in my view, just because we will have sustained prices and it will motivate people. But it takes time to change the sentiment and the perceptions. So it just says right here, like the first blurb, investment in oil field services in the US is down 77% from 2012. And current investment is much lower than in previous cycle highs. Underinvestment across the oil field value chain has compounded for some time now and is likely to impede on exploration and production companies' ability to grow future production, even if they've shown a willingness to do so. Exploration and production margins are likely to rise dramatically in this higher commodity price environment, but may be offset by oilfield services cost inflation. Now, these things will, if they're allowed to, eventually resolve themselves, but it will take time. And this is the cyclical upcycle that could create Tremendous amounts of money. We're already seeing like one of the companies I follow in the actionable intelligence alert newsletter. It's a smaller Canadian oil field services company. They had some margin pressure early in the in the uh, upcycle in Canada, but they've been able to push through uh, the price increases and get their margins back up. So you're saw, you're seeing like in some of the results, like in the portfolio, some of the smaller companies that I have in there, like their first quarter or fourth quarter, their revenues were starting to turn up. but The the earnings were not because the margins were being compressed because their costs were up. They had to go out and get guys, they have to go out and get the parts and stuff that they need. Okay. And that was hindering them. But those costs are being forced to because, in the end, you either have to pay and you just put it in if, if, if the oil price is sufficient for your particular well you want to drill, that your returns are, you know, way above what they normally are then you're more apt to say, okay, I can absorb this cost because my returns are still going to be there. Remember, this is an extractive industry. you have to drill at some point or you go out of business. This is like they say right here, oil field service provider margins are likely to rise due to improved pricing power from reduced, from reduced supply of equipment and skilled labor. These things resolve. If you pay enough money, you can fix the problem. Time and money solve all problems. So this, this is how it works. But I think you're just now starting to see some of the stocks, the money come into some of these stocks because the market's starting to understand this. There's still, in my view, tremendous opportunity. Yes, I said earlier in the video, it might sound contradictory, but I don't know what's going to happen. We have to have our mind open for all results. can very easily go into an inflationary recession. We may be in a situation where we can't get demand down sufficient and the oil price maybe drops to $80 or $90 a barrel. I don't know if we go into a recession what the new floor for oil will be. It's not going to be negative. Is it going to go to 20 I don't think so. Is it going to go to 50 Maybe. Does it settle down at 75 to 80 I don't know. Difficult to say what the floor will be, how severe the recession will actually be. We'll have to see. But like I said, inventories continue to draw and you know, at some, prices continue to go up until the demand destruction sets in. And the rest, you know, could be a situation where energy prices stay high for an extended period of time and the rest of the economy suffers. So we have, like I said, we're in uncharted territory here. We have to let the data tell us what's happening. This is, you know, I'm starting to see a lot of the Ukrainian flag icons go away. I looked it up on Google Trends the other day. No one's talking about Ukraine anymore. I'm not going to talk about it too much on here except to say, that the sanctions are not working and Europe has a big problem now. um, I think this is going to get really ugly for Europe over, you know, it's already getting ugly and I think it's going to cause a lot of turmoil there politically and socially. But for Russia, things are working out fine. Russia's energy revenue higher now than just before the Ukraine war, U.S. official says. "Well, Why is that? Because they're still buying the energy. They're just paying more for it. I mean, so they have this little Kabuki theater. They're on their sixth round. They're working on their seventh round of sanctions. Ursula vanda Crazy is talking about, you know, they're going to cut off Russian oil by the end of the year. That's not going to happen. They're doing crazy stuff like sending the oil to India. So India buys the oil, refines it into refined products, and then ships it to Europe. I mean, this is the, this is the level of Kabuki theater nonsense. And I mean, if you follow these things like I do, this is what's happening. But they say, you know, we're not taking Russian oil. No, you're just taking Indian refined products that are are from uh, Russian oil. Or the two tankers meet out in the middle and they pump, you know, the one tanker has half Middle Eastern oil or something, and then they pump the rest of the Russian crude in there. And if it's above 50%, then it's considered, you know, a blended crude and it's fine. This is something that happened in Greece. You know, Greece has a lot of, ship owners, and it's just like everywhere else, these people have a lot of stroke in Greece. And so the Greeks government was going to try to get cute and they were just told by the shipping industry, no, 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 we're going to do this. If you don't, so stop playing kabuki theater, stop playing, you know, pot... stop running your mouth on TV and in the parliament because uh, if you don't, we'll just replace you, okay? Because the shipping industry is very important to Greece. These people have a lot of stroke there. That's what's happening. So this is all nonsense. Okay, the war is not going very well for Ukraine. Okay, there's plenty of channels. I've listed them before. I'm not going to do it again. I don't want to antagonize people, but it's not. Even the Ukrainian government says they're losing 200 KIA a day, and if you're based on that, you're probably got 500 wounded a day or prisoners. It's probably higher than that. Okay, these losses are unsustainable. They just came out today and said that they're basically out of ammunition for their Soviet equipment. There's no more ammo. No one's interested in sending them any more weapons. It's over. It's just a matter of time. And like I've said before, uh, I don't know how the West is going to off-ramp this and try to spin this. I think what you're going to see over time is you're going to start seeing Zelensky getting attacked in the Western media. He has all this stolen wealth. He has, why does he have a house in Miami? undermining Zelensky to try to put the blame on him, okay? That, I, uh, this is not going well. And now everything's getting dried from the spring. We're going into the summer. Uh, the Russians have been able to cross the Sovetsky donets River on several places where they, you know, we, a month ago, they tried to cross with pontoon bridges. If you remember, it was a big deal because Ukraine supposedly blew up a, a, a BTG trying to cross, which is a, bat, a battle tactical group destroyed a bunch of like 30 Russian tanks or whatever. And that was a big deal. Now they can just drive across the river with amphibious vehicles of waters down and they're just retreating from places. Now they're just giving up territory, trying to pull back. One of the main generals has been asking to pull back to more defensible areas, try to get these guys out of these cauldrons that are forming. And uh, like I said, you know, no one's talking about it anymore. Uh, all the rah, rah stopped. And even the Ukrainian government and Western governments are saying the same thing And Eastern Europeans, they don't there's no more ammunition going in there's no more support it's uh you know people are looking for a way to get off this crazy train and uh like i said this is benefiting russia so what does that do to the eu block what does that do you know i'm being told what i'm listening to commentators on a podcast today this is strengthening the eu this is strengthened nato i don't see it and this has longer term political and economic Uh, consequences, which we don't have the time to get into on this call, but I'm just telling you, this is what's happening. Russia may be getting more revenue from its fossil fuels now. It's not May, they are, then shortly before its invasion of Ukraine, as global price increases offset the impact of Western efforts to restrict its sales. Well, they're hardly even restricting the sales. U.S. Energy Secretary Envoy Amos Hochstein told lawmakers during a hearing on Thursday, the United States and the European Union agreed to ban imports of Russian oil and imposed escalating sanctions to punish the country for its invasion of Ukraine. The International Energy Agency said in May that Russia's oil revenue was up 50% <laughs> since the beginning of the year to 20 billion a month, with the EU taking the biggest share of its exports. You see, you see what you're dealing with here. It's all theater. It's all the news cycle. It's all look at me, look what I did isn't it wonderful? Don't I care so much? Give me narcissistic supply. Tell me how much of a virtuous person I am. And the whole thing's a, a non-event. In the meantime, people are being killed by the hundreds. They don't, they don't have enough equipment. They don't have enough ammunition. I think I saw today in an article, this was what one of the Ukrainians said, they maybe have like 5,000 outgoing, 5,000 or 10,000 outgoing artillery rounds on the Russians a day and they're incoming 65 to 70,000 shells a day and nothing's happening nothing's affected on Russian territory their munitions factories are running around the clock everything's blown up and bombed in Ukraine they have no munitions being produced you're trying to bring everything from western Ukraine hundreds of kilometers to the front and yet people are telling me that Ukraine's winning okay I want to know what the off-ramp is. It's time to talk about how this gets resolved. And every, now it started back in March, and I'm just going to make this statement. It started back in March when they met in Istanbul that the Ukrainians were went in there and said they maybe were going to possibly live by the Minsk II agreement, give, don, you know stop fighting, have a ceasefire. There was no way in heck ever that the Russians are ever going to talk about Crimea. That's a Russian territory forever because of the... Naval base there. That's just the bottom line. So that was a non starter for the Ukrainians because they've been telling everybody they're going to take back Crimea. That's never going to happen ever. Then they could have got a deal with the Russians for Donbass, for Donetsk and Lugansk to do the, you know, declare yourself to be neutral, do not join NATO, recognize and fulfill the requirements of the Minsk II to allow the autonomy of Donetsk and Lugansk stopped shelling them, and they, they could have got a deal. They didn't want it. Whether Zelensky or the people advising him or around him forced him not to do it, or if he was told by his Western handlers in the US and Boris Johnson in the UK, I don't know. Now, Lavrov came out for the Russian side the other day and said, here's the new starting of the negotiations. Crimea is off the table. We're not going to discuss it. It's Russian territory. Donbass, Lugansk and Donetsk will be integrated into the Russian Federation, okay? Now, guess what else? Now the conversation is also about Kherson and Zaporozhye. So every day that, that goes, this goes on, and every day that they don't sit down and negotiate with the Russians in good faith to try to get a deal means that the state of Ukraine becomes smaller. That's it. That's the bottom line. And it's just what it is now is just an artillery deal where the Russians did what they did before in Chechnya and other places uh, in Syria just have artillery strikes until you're pummeled and there's nothing there and then you roll in and it's not like big infantry battles and all this stuff uh, house to house it's artillery and they have the advantage in artillery they have the munitions we don't have the ability in the United States to build Soviet era munitions for their artillery which they don't even have hardly anymore because they've been destroyed by the russians and so this is this is sad because basically um because of the energy exacerbated energy costs or prices because of this war which has a certain component attached to it uh the eu is basically funding the 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 war effort for russia against ukraine that's how diabolical and how this thing has flipped around on them. Just everything that they, European Union and the U.S. and the U.K. have done has flipped around and reversed back on them like a judo move or in a wrestling match, okay? You, got them into the, you thought you were going to get them into this hold, and they reversed it on you. You thought you were going to do this, and they reversed it on you. And so at some point, this has to end in a negotiated settlement. And like I said, the longer this goes on, the weaker that Ukraine gets, the stronger Russia gets, and uh, the positioning of, you, of the EU, uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, for political reasons, politicians can't ever admit they were wrong. This is one, th- there's two things that they do for sure. They only care about being elected and staying elected. So you can count on that, that they're going to do their gauging the wind. The other thing is they never take responsibility and never admit they were wrong. They can't. And so I don't understand or see how this is going to end. But I wanted to point this out. This is a U.S. official that said this in a hearing to the U.S. Congress. It's not me just saying it. It's not propaganda from Russia. It's what's happening. Okay, guys, that's it for this week. Uh, Appreciate your viewership. Appreciate the channel continues to grow, gratefully. Um, We're getting into really rough times now, really difficult to manage money in this a lot of people are going to get destroyed in this next year or so because their framework of how they're thinking about how to manage money or the or their perception of the environment or the sandbox they're in is changing, and they're not they don't understand that. And so buying the dip is not going to work. Okay, uh, we are going to have, like I said, a decade of inflation, higher resource prices with extreme volatility, and if you're going to try to catch the bottom in tech stocks it's not going to work for you. And uh, that's my view. And we thought this is how we have done well in the actionable, actionable intelligence alert newsletter, Um, encourage you to take a subscription if you're interested in how we transfer the stuff that we talk about in these videos, in this podcast into actionable stock ideas or investment ideas. Uh, You may want to take a subscription $150 a year. Uh, there are, there is links in the show notes if you are so inclined. All right, guys, thank you very much. And we'll talk to you next week.